0: Hello, everyone. I'm Patty Murphy. Thank you for listening. The Honest S.I. podcast is brought to you by Tom and Suzanne Crimmins, the owners of Tom Krimens Realty. With their help, we are able to continue to share local Staten Island stories from Tottenville to Tompkinsville and everywhere in between. Now on with this month's show. on this episode of the On SI podcast. It's no joke, the decommissioned Staten Island ferry boat John F. Kennedy is getting a new lease on life courtesy of two island-born and bred stars who saved it from the scrap heap. What Saturday Night Live's Colin Jost and Pete Davidson have up their sleeves for the aging and obsolete vessel. Also this month, the COVID-19 pandemic continues to weigh down the restaurant industry, How is Staten Island staple is managing to stay afloat. Plus, this episode's local hero of the month is the founder of a support network that has answered the question, where to turn, thousands of times for more than 20 years. Hello, I'm your host, Patty Murphy. We begin this month with plans to turn the John F. Kennedy ferry boat into a floating entertainment venue. That tops our island hopping segment. On SI's take of noteworthy, local, and positive things you need to know this month. On SI's Joe Malvasio shares more.
1: Typically, when an old Staten Island ferry is no longer able to handle passenger service anymore, it is destined to be used as scrap metal. But for the John F. Kennedy ferry boat retired last summer, there may be a new purpose for its existence. Thanks to SNL stars Colin Jost and Pete Davidson, there are plans to turn it into an entertainment venue and comedy club. The boat was sold to Jost, Davidson, and their partner Paul Italia for $281,000. The ferry boat was built in 1965 and operated for five decades. Italia told the New York Post, quote, The dream would be to work with the city to bring back one of these peers and help out a community. The NYPD's newest chief of department is from Staten Island. Chief Kenneth Corey of Princes Bay was sworn in on January 1st at police headquarters in Manhattan. Chief Corey most recently served as the department's chief of training. Prior to that, he was Staten Island's borough commander. West Brighton's Corporal Thompson Park is getting a $1.6 million upgrade. Funds will go toward upgrading the playground, new landscaping, pathways, and security lights. The project was spearheaded by Assemblyman Charles Fall and State Senator Diane Savino.
0: It's no secret that restaurants are struggling during the ongoing pandemic especially in New York City. I recently caught up with Paul Montella, the owner of Nucci South, to discuss the challenges and lessons learned over the past two years. Paul, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. It's great to catch up with you.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: So for background, when we first launched on SI in April 2020, I recall talking to Jimmy Max owner, James McGratney about the uncertainty surrounding the COVID outbreak and how restaurant owners were pivoting to serve patrons and the island's essential workers and the mindset that was needed to survive the challenges of owning a restaurant. So do you mind recalling what you were feeling at that time for our listeners?
2: It's funny you bring up Jimmy, uh, forget that we were together for almost 20 years, you know, me as an employer of his and partners, I also spoke to Jimmy in the beginning. Uh, it, it was scary. I'm not going to lie. I have the school system, the Catholic schools. I serve quite a few children every day. So in an instant, everything was gone. You know, the restaurant was shut down. The school system was shut down. And, uh, but then you watch the news. It was, it was, you know, we were battling a serious enemy. So Like a bunch of us, we all put our best foot forward and see what we can do for everybody. We were sending food to the test site on Seaview Avenue near Father Cappadano. That was on a daily basis. And we were basically just sending food to anybody we could that needed it. I mean, everybody was hurt. So like Sandy, Staten Island's a great place. I know a lot of places, you know, they make fun of us. But when things happen, we, we group together well. Mm -hmm. And we stand strong together. I I saw everybody doing it. Everybody was helping the community. And we ourselves as restaurant owners, we didn't know what the heck was happening with our future. But at that exact moment, everybody had to step up. And we did. It was pretty cool.
0: Yeah. I I remember those days of paying it forward, like you were just mentioning. But also the enemy you're talking about was an unforeseen or, um, invisible enemy. Right. And so over. I remember
2: hearing about it like a a month or two before, Mm -hmm. uh, three months, what have you. And like everybody else, you heard it. Yeah. There's a new outbreak, you know, and as time went on, it became more and more. And then all of a sudden you started hearing people getting sick, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's when it became real and, I had to bring my brother to the hospital in the midst of all this for a, ho- a heart. He was at the bar, and me and him were just talking. And he all of a sudden, he didn't look good. And Greg, I you know, was like, I'm getting chest pain. So I brought him to the hospital, and I was not allowed to go in. And we just both looked at each other. Like, God forbid he did have it. Like, is this the last time I'm going to see my brother? Mm-hmm. And that changes your view on a lot, because a lot of families, that did happen to me And it's, it's, it's just sad. It's terrible, and we did a lot of repasses. Even though the, you know the person had died yeah. months before, or even you know a year before, we finally were able to you know give them a send off, a respectful, proper send off. Mm-hmm. And uh, those families that went through that—it's tragic, and my heart goes out to them.
0: It's a very humbling experience. And I'm sorry that you you and your family went through that with your brother. That's a scary thing in itself. Yeah,
2: he turned out to be fine, thank God. But I just remember looking at him and like we both realized this is the last time I might see him because mm-hmm. he's hearing all these stories. Mm-hmm. And like all of a sudden I are on a like is this going to be us right now? And it was emotional. I'm not going to lie. He was fine. He was home like the next day. But what if, you mm-hmm. know, that always goes through your mind.
0: Well, it's interesting to hear you sort of humanize the whole experience? Because while you're dealing with that as an individual, over the course of the pandemic, how many times did the rules and the restrictions change for restaurant owners? So in the midst of all that stress and chaos, how were you able to successfully navigate the challenges of the past two years and what were some of the hardest to overcome?
2: The hardest, Mm -hmm. the truth, after we were allowed to reopen and they shut us again, for the, basically the month of December, which is a great financial month. That was the toughest financial thing. When we first closed deliveries, the test site, like you were able to listen, navigate, that's the right word. Successfully, I don't know if any restaurant was successful during it, but we stayed afloat. You know, the, the people, when you in a restaurant, you become a family. I think that's the best way to describe it. You know, how do you walk in the kitchen and tell these guys, all right, everybody, you're on your own. Some of these guys are with me 20 years. You know, so and they're there for the great times when you got parties going on and catering. All of a sudden it becomes tough financially. You just and I sat everybody down. I said, we're all gonna eat. We may not eat steak, <laughs> but we'll eat hot dogs together. You know, every family will make it through, I promise you. Mm-hmm. So you yeah, have the responsibility level, that was tough. That was stressful. And uh, I look back now, truthfully, I don't know how the hell I did. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> and then we were allowed to reopen. We had the deck outside. Right. You know, we, uh, I was fortunate. Frank from Pro Show uh, put up the staging for the floor. Because mm-hmm. I hate eating on the floor. I hate that when you feel rain or insects. So I put a nice floor down. Mm-hmm. Nice tent. And we were doing okay. We were doing better than just catering. Mm-hmm. And then they shut you down for December. And that was just, that crushed everybody. because. Christmas parties, and Christmas Eve, and New Year's Eve, everything was gone again. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it that was challenging. And that was, it. like, it deflated you. Like, how much can you take? Mm-hmm. So that was the biggest change that I had to adapt to. As far as the mask and the spacing and everything, eh, you know, listen, you had to put a sign up. You had to make sure people wore masks. You had to make sure there was you, know, you had eight feet between the tables mm-hmm. or what have you. I'm fortunate the place is big, mm-hmm. so we gave a lot of space. You yeah, know, we rolled with the punches with that, but the change from opening to closed again that was the toughest.
0: Yeah, I for people who maybe didn't frequent the restaurant, what you're talking about is you set up a really nice outdoor dining space in the parking lot, which. Created a really nice dining experience when we were all pivoting to, you know, just having to eat on the street or outside, you know, you had a raised, like you mentioned, stage and white tablecloths and nice overhead, like in the summertime to shade everyone. And then, you know, now we're talking in the month of January and wintertime dining changed significantly over the years in a way I never anticipated you know, with these outdoor igloos and things like that around. Um, My question for you is, like, what have you learned about adapting to adversity throughout the past couple of years?
2: Uh, It keeps you on your toes. I've been doing this since I'm 13. I'm 55. And not that it becomes a routine. Restaurants are never routine. But after what we just went through, you can handle anything. No Mm -hmm. doubt about it. Me and Jimmy owned the parsonage together. Right. And We were probably one of the first restaurants to have the tent Going on, and Martha Stewart said, "Tacked weddings were in, and we were packed, mm-hmm. and we had a deal with Mother Nature." I remember watching the weather every day. What's it going to be like this weekend? This is it a storm? This and that, and that was a different type of, you know, adapting. This, you were just ready for anything that was going to get thrown your way. So basically, the, the, the uncertainty is what killed you. Mm-hmm. That was the stressful part. You know, there was no light at the end of the tunnel for a while. There was no talk of reopening, right? So you had to become creative. You had to uh, start shooting text out. And we, I never did stuff like that. And I know a lot of people with the social media and all. I, I myself, I just don't do it. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden I'm introduced to that world. You know, uh, email blast and text message and uh, Facebook and Instagram. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, I had somebody take care of it because I don't know how to do it, but it, it worked out check. Okay.
0: <laughs> you know, it's clear to me and I think everyone else on the island how passionate you are about owning and operating restaurants. Where does that passion come from?
2: I don't know. I, I liked it from day one. I did. It was either this or delivered a newspaper, my two only jobs. <laughs> so I figured this one, I'll stick with it. I like it. <laughs> my um, mom didn't want me in at all Uh, a father was in it. It's a tough life. Right. You know, people don't see what happens behind after you come in for dinner. You know, you got to realize we are here on the weekends and the holidays and we have families on our own. And so I blinked. My kids are 13 and 16. I don't know where the years Mm went. And did I miss a lot? Yeah, sure. I missed a lot. But you know, that's part of the restaurant business. I knew what I was getting into. My wife knew what I did, and that's
0: it. Yeah, it's clearly a, a business about people and relationships, and you were just speaking earlier about Staten Islanders and their resilient spirit, but I'm wondering how you would describe Staten Island to people who might not be familiar with the borough.
2: When it first hit, my phone rang off the hook for deliveries, and it continued to do it on a daily basis. From my, it, it made you feel good. If you're going to dedicate your life, right? And basically, give up your life. You, you, you don't go to weddings a lot of times. You're not home for Mother's Day, Christmas Eve, Thanksgiving, Easter. And these are the sacrifices you do, right? We all know what we have to do. But when things turn bad, the best feeling was the support from all the customers. That was incredible. You know, It made you know that you know, maybe I did make the right choice. That was nice. So Staten Island in general, when things get bad, we're the best. No doubt.
0: Uh, What are some things you're looking forward to in the future?
2: A (laughs) publication. What am I looking forward to? Just just to be normal. Mm -hmm. We We just went through it again. December was this year. December was great. Last December closed. This December, First three weeks, incredible. Probably one of the best Decembers ever, you know, in 22 years here. Mm -hmm. And then the new virus became more and more common. And then by the end of December, it was everywhere. And from Christmas Day till now, basically, pardons canceled. uh, New Year's Eve canceled. So adapting, I don't, you know, what? you ask that question, we just had to adapt. It just became routine that you don't even realize. So what I'm looking forward to, just being normal.
0: I think everybody agrees.
2: <laughs> and we had comedy night this Friday. Mm-hmm. And to watch all those people in a restaurant laughing, was it was great. Yeah. It was. And I think everybody needed it, me as well.
0: Yeah. Well... I love your resilient spirit and your optimism and tenacity. (laughs) I really appreciate it. And you also have amazing food. (laughs) So thank you for taking the time to catch up with me today and just, you know, share some of the challenges, but also lessons learned. Uh, It's definitely needed. Thank you. Now we are proud to bring you our local hero of the month. A segment made possible with support from Tom and Suzanne Crimmins of Tom Crimmins Realty. In this installment, we introduce you to Dennis McKeon. The Great Kills resident is the founder of a support network that has provided relief services to thousands of those in need for two decades. And he doesn't show any signs of slowing down. Following the attacks on September 11, 2001, Dennis McKeon felt the need to help the families of victims. So, he founded the nonprofit Where to Turn to help support more than 1,500 families. In the following years, the network expanded to aid victims of other tragedies, such as Hurricane Sandy and Hurricane Katrina. McKeon's organization has also removed graffiti from thousands of local locations, organized teen volunteers to shovel snow for seniors, collected gently used prom dresses for needy teens, distributed more than 10,000 toys through an annual holiday store, collected 98,000 t-shirts for victims of an earthquake in Haiti, and much more.
3: My New Year's resolution every year is always to say no. Right. Because my problem is that, you know, somebody will ask for something and I'll say I'll see what I can do. And then once I make the commitment, I have to, you know, I have to see it through and I just enjoy it.
0: McKeon's solution oriented mindset and fierce work ethic was instilled in him from a young age. He grew up admiring his father for his tenacity and willingness to put in a hard day's work traits that McKeon carries with him every time someone approaches him asking for help.
3: Too many times people always look at problems and give you a hundred reasons why they can't be solved instead of just trying to solve the problem. Like a lot of our programs that we started, you know, some of them work, some of them don't work, but we always try.
0: As a connector with boundless energy who has invested both time and effort building authentic relationships, McKeon has undoubtedly improved the Staten Island community in countless and meaningful ways. That is why Dennis McKeon is our local hero
3: of the month. You pay it forward, You get it back. You know, I always say that Staten Islanders are great. In the worst of times, they're the best of people. And I really do believe that.
0: And finally, in case you missed it, in our last edition of On SI, we took a look back at 2021 in our annual year-in-review show, including how Staten Island paused to remember the people who were senselessly killed by terrorists on September 11, 2001. For some, like the co-chair of the Joseph Maffeo Foundation, Linda Manfredi, The solemn anniversary of the attacks was a time to reaffirm the organization's mission while pledging to never forget her firefighter brother and others who tragically lost their lives that day. Keeping their memory alive is so important so that... We never have to repeat this again. I know that our youth need to have positive role models. And if that's something that this foundation can afford them, and they can be part of it on any level, then the impact that we've wanted far exceeds the mission. It allows the legacy of those lost on 9-11 to be remembered and hopefully to build our young children to become those future heroes. That'll do it for this edition of On SI. A thank you to Tom and Suzanne Crimmins, Paul Montella, and Dennis McKeon. Please check out our website at honesti.nyc and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. We feature stories that matter to locals. If you have one you'd like to share, email it to us at stories at honesti.nyc. Until next time, be well. The Honest Eye podcast is a member of the local independent online news or Lion Publishers initiative. We are proud to be one of the 300 plus organizations across the United States and Canada, supported by the Democracy Fund, Facebook Journalism Project, Google News Initiative, and the Knight Foundation. And we hope we are helping to do our part to elevate influential voices from our small corner of the map. Like you, we love Staten Island and telling local stories from Tottenville to Tompkinsville and everywhere in between. We couldn't do it without the support of Tom and Suzanne Crimmins, the owners of Tom Crimmins Realty and the co-chairs of our NSI Board of Directors. To learn more about our mission, go to our website at onesi.nyc.